turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, please. Galatians chapter 3. If you don't know your way around the Bible, then just look in the contents. I still do at times, so don't feel bad about that. And Galatians is a book in the New Testament, and it begins with a G or a G. So we can find that and then go to chapter 3. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm reading from a slightly different Bible tonight, just a different translation, not like the Jehovah's Witness Bible or something, so you're all right, but I'm just trying to find my place here. <clears throat> okay, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ purchased our freedom from the curse of the law and its condemnation by himself becoming a curse for us. For it is written in the Scriptures, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree and is crucified. To the end that through their receiving Christ Jesus, the blessing promised to Abraham might come upon us, the Gentiles, so that we through faith might all receive the promise and the realization of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? That we can receive this wonderful Holy Spirit. We can receive this wonderful Holy Spirit. Go with me to verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, are in Him, who is Abram's seed, then you are Abram's offspring... And you are heirs according to the same promise. So every promise that God made to Abram is available to you and me in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Every single promise that God made to Abram is ours in Christ. And Paul says in his, I think his first letter to the Corinthians, he says this, that all the promises that God has made are yes in Christ. And we speak the Amen. We speak the so be it or agreement unto the glory of God. What does that mean? It means this, that we speak the promises until we see the glory of them, until we see them manifest in the physical realm. So we don't speak garbage. We don't speak how God's let us down. We don't speak how the pastors let us down. We don't speak how people have let us down. Everybody else's fault. Everybody else but me. We don't do all that. What we do is we speak the promises. We speak the promises. I really <laughs> want to continue tonight and then also next, um, next Sunday night and, and probably when I get back from India as well, looking at this whole thing of blessing because I think it's so powerful that God wants you and me to be a blessing to the whole world. What does that mean to be a blessing? Well, the word bless means to empower it means to make happy. It means to literally, the word in the Hebrew is barak. It means to, to kneel bes, bes, before somebody and promise them that everything you have belongs to them, including your very self. That's what God did for us in Jesus, isn't it? I think that's so awesome that the creator of the heavens and the earth did that for you and me. It's so awesome. And the fact that God wants to bless the earth. Why do we know that? Because the first mention in the Bible of God's interaction with human beings, it doesn't say, and God created 
uh, male and female in his image. And he cursed them because he had a bad day. He doesn't say that. He says he blessed them. And God wants a church that blesses, a church that nurtures, but a church that blesses. And I'm going to share on this until I feel that God brings, takes me in a different direction. But in the morning, this morning, I was sharing about some of the distinctives that are our congregation and the vision that we have and how we're going to go forward as a church together. And we'll be talking about that next Sunday morning as well. And <clears throat> with all the trials and all the troubles that you and I go through, we are a blessed people. <clears throat> There's an old song, I won't sing it, don't worry, I've sang enough already. But it's count your blessings one by one. And then you'll see what God has done. And I really believe that if we were able to, instead of doing inventory of all our woes, but doing inventory of all the blessings, we would actually realize how much we are a blessed people. A blessed person doesn't mean that they're rich materially. It doesn't mean that they are successful by the world standards. A blessed person is somebody who knows that they know they're accepted by Jesus, that they've received his grace, that they're a child of God, that they're no longer a slave to fear, they're not, that sin no longer has dominion over them. That is a truly free person, a truly blessed person, and a truly awesome individual. And I'm looking at some right now. Amen? One of the awesome things I'm going to do in India is I'm taking a wedding. So I'm speaking at two weekends back to back at about four different churches. But in the, in the middle of the week, I'm doing a wedding. And the wedding is um, a, a dear... Uh, friend of mine who came to the church here, his father and mother go to the church here, and he uh, came to do a master's degree at Lancaster University and live with his mum and dad in Keithley while he was doing that degree. And uh, I just got to know him, just a, a quality guy, I know somebody in the church got to know him as well. But he wasn't, he, he was very honest with me. He believed in Jesus, but he wasn't walking his faith because religion had put him off and church had put him off. And um, we got friendly, and we had some time together, and we had coffee, and we just um, just got to know each other. But I remember this sort of good-looking Indian fellow in the congregation staring at me during, the, during my word and nodding, and it was like, you know, this was the best thing since sliced bread. Believe me, that happens a lot less than you would think. So, <clears throat> so it was quite, a, you know, you kind of look in that direction. And I could see him sort of downloading in his spirit what I said. And he came to me and says, you know, you're, you're very unlike a lot of preachers I've come across. I said, I said how so? He says, you're real. Oh, okay. And then he said, you're actually speaking something that actually is, is hitting my heart and, and doing something. And he gave his life back to the Lord. And he's doing really well. And he went to Dubai for a, a, a contract on his job. He's in HR, Human Resources. And during that time in Dubai, he met his now fiance, and um, she's in finance in Dubai. And um, he left Dubai and went back to Bangalore in India, which is where I'm going, one of the places I'm going to in a couple of weeks' time. And he is now um, a HR director of KPMG, which is a major accountancy firm all over the world, particularly in Europe, but they've got a massive... Because India is such an emerging economy, they've got a massive presence there. 
and he does the HR for four of the main sites across India, Mumbai, Delhi, I think there's two others that I can't remember. Anyway, so he, he asked me if I would go and take the ceremony, do the vows um, uh, for him and his wife Marilyn and also to uh, share at the wedding an address, not be an address, share an address. I wouldn't bless anybody, would it? Just come on, follow me. This is good comedy stuff here, okay? And, uh, and basically just to be there and be part of the, the service. And uh, just the amazing thing is, you know, he, he, I was umming and ahhing because I've got little children. I don't like to leave them, you know. I did a lot of traveling before we had kids. My wife and I, we did a lot of ministry abroad. In fact, we went, probably went to about 12 nations in four years in, in ministry when we were younger. But we, we really wanted to put roots down and, and have our family, and I just love our family. So I've not been anywhere for four years in terms of overseas ministry. I've just been based here and a few little churches that we've spoke at across the UK. So it was kind of a, a real God, you know, you know what you do, you know, you got all religious. And, oh Lord, is it your will that I should go to India? He said, if you want to. What do you want? He said, well, what about the church? And what about my responsibilities? Well, it'll give them a chance to grow up. <laughs> so, so I'm only gone nine days, but and I'm going to miss my kids because I, and my wife and my kids—they're everything to me, and I'm going to miss them so much. But I'm going to enjoy being there to bless my friend who came back to the Lord through this community, through not just me, but through you as well. You know, whatever people say about us or write us off, that's one testimony of many of people that have been affected in a good way. So that'll be the first wedding I'll be orchestrating in since Shockett and Lima's wedding. We had a great time at Shockett and Lima's wedding and we enjoyed them being in the church with us. But Shockett's leaving the church. He's going to Christ Harvest Church just around the corner. So we just want to bless him as he goes to his new territory, his new enjoyment there and whether Lima goes or stays, you know, you're very welcome to be amongst us as a church, as a part of a church family. But Father, we just bless Shockett as he goes. And Father, I pray that he finds everything he's looking for and more. In Jesus' name, amen. So that was a special day. So I'm looking forward to this special day. You know, one of the joys of being a pastor is dedicating babies and seeing people married. Those are two great joys. So it's going to be wonderful to do that. And I don't know if you remember, some of you won't who don't come in the morning, but there was a friend of mine who ministered here. He's the pastor of El Shaddai Church in Bangalore. And he, Dr. Joshua Pillai, he ministered here a few months ago, probably about six months ago, I would say. Um, he, um, I'm going to minister in his church and be with him when I'm there. Um, but basically, he's been diagnosed with fourth stage pancreatic cancer. So I would really love if we can lift him up and pray for him. He's making, I mean, that is a cancer that's not an easy one to recover from. Um, and that he's making real good progress. I'm looking forward to seeing my friend and seeing him and his family and praying for them and ministering to them. But I would love to take all your love and all your prayer with me uh, to, to that special man who's done amazing things for God. And I believe he's got a lot more to do. Amen. 
So God wants us blessed. Blessed in every single way. He wants us so blessed. He wants us to be as blessed as our father Abram was blessed. You know, our father Abram made some mistakes. Have you read about them in the Bible? He made some big mistakes. One day, he was struggling to have a, a child, so he's, his wife came up with the idea of, well, why don't you go and sleep with Hagar, our servant? And Abram said, if it be your will... Only believe, only if you allow me to go, I'll go, God. <laughs> so he did. So he made some mistakes, didn't he? Some big mistakes. And actually, some of the mistakes he made we're still dealing with today, actually, in various forms. But God was for him. And when you read Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, it's amazing that you don't read what you read in the Old Testament. You don't read about all the mistakes you don't read about all the mess-ups. You read about them being commended for their faith. Because that's what God is like. That you read about them being commended for their faith. There's um, a book called The Stone Shumash, which is, is rabbinical writings on the Torah dating back thousands of years, hundreds of, well, not hundreds of thousands of years, some dating back hundreds of years, some dating back thousands of years. And there's some amazing stories that link in with the Bible stories we know. And one of the stories I just want to share with you because it links in with what I want to say about blessing. The story is this, that Abram had a staff, which is probably true because in those days I get the impression everybody had a staff. It was a bit like an iPhone today, you know, just carried a staff around. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is not, me. This is not <laughs> accurate exegesis of the scripture, but you know what I mean? <laughs> So they carried a staff, and Abram would have carried a staff, and there was, there's this belief in, um, in these rabbinical writings that Abram carried a staff around. <coughs> and this staff was quite thick, and it was quite strong, and it could carry his weight when he got older. And on the staff was carved the stories of God in his life. And then when he went to be with the Lord, he passed that on to his son Isaac. And those stories of how God dealt with Isaac brought the beautiful Rebecca to him. Sowed in the same year and reaped a hundredfold. All these amazing miracles that take place through Isaac's life. He's writing them down on this staff. And then it's passed to Jacob. Well, it should have been his Esau, but you know what happened. Jacob got in the way and it's a bit messy. But anyway, Jacob. And Jacob wrote on the staff that he wrestled with God. Oh, that would have been a sellout, wouldn't it? Wrestle with God. All the things that God did in his life, he wrote on the staff. And, and it says at the end of Jacob's life, when he gets into a place where he's at rest and restored to Joseph, his son, and he, he blesses Joseph's sons. And it says that before he passes away, he blesses the sons of Joseph. And then he leans on his staff and worships. You see, your worship is so much more of a high quality if there's a word and a testimony undergird it. If there's an experience of God's word working in your life, 
your worship will be of a far higher quality. And so will mine. So Joseph was buried with this staff, the story goes on. And remember, Joseph said before he died, he said, make sure that my bones are taken from here and placed in the promised land. So can I suggest to you that if they were going to do that with Joseph's bones, they would have have to excavate his bones and what's in his tomb, because he was buried like an Egyptian, not walked like an Egyptian, buried like an Egyptian. He was buried like an Egyptian, and that staff was in there. So when they excavated him to bury him in the promised land, that staff was there. Now the story goes on that somehow the person who got hold of that staff after decades was Jethro, the priest of Midian, who became who to Moses? Moses' father-in-law. And Jethro had some revelation of God. It may have not been pure Jewish-Israelite revelation, but he had some great revelation of God. So he wrote some stuff down, what God was saying. And remember, when Moses is in the wilderness, and he sees a a bush that's on fire, which is nothing new in the desert, is it? All the bushes are on fire if it's very arid and very, you know, these things happen. But this one didn't burn up. So he took a closer look. And he has an encounter with Yahweh. Personal God, personal encounter. What does Yahweh say to him? Moses, what do you have in your hand? It's just a staff with some markings on it. I don't really know a great deal about it, but what is it? He says, what do you have in your hand? See, I'm going to call you to do something amazing. I'm going to call you to bless a whole nation, three million people, take them out of slavery that they've been in for hundreds of years and bring them into a promised land that flows with milk and honey and is amazing. And you're going to be the head and not the tail, the top and not the bottom. Now, what do you have in your hand? He looks closer and he sees all these stories of God working. And he thinks if God can do that, God can do so much more. Can I suggest to you that we have a staff right here? The promises of God to us. Let's take a closer look at what God has said. Because that staff that Moses held up, that staff was the staff that parted the Red Sea. That staff was the staff that delivered people from Egypt into the promised land. And that blessing that that staff represented, where was it placed? It was, it was called Aaron's rod eventually. Where was it placed? Do you remember? Yeah. Now forgive me because I know some of you think, that's not in the Bible, that's not in the Bible, that's not in the Bible. Yeah, just, just, just go with me. It's all picture, it's all imagery. And it's making the point that this is how we understand. This is how we can lean on in life and have confidence in And this informs our worship of Jesus. And this is why we can bless. And this blessing that was on all these patriarchs right down. Right down the centuries. Paul says 
that that same blessing that was on Abram is on you and me. That same blessing. Wow. What does that look like? Well, read how Abram was blessed. Read in the Bible what God did for those people. And if God can do it for those people, he can do it for you. You're a blessed people. You're a blessed people. Turn to somebody and say, I'm blessed to you. And what did they say back? I hope they said yes. I hope they said yes. Amen. Turn me in Acts chapter 4, please. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. The descendants of Abram lived under the blessing if they received it by faith. They lived under the priesthood that was the king of, or proficient in righteousness and peace. That's the kingship priesthood of Melchizedek. The blessing was passed down right through. You know why there's the genealogy of, Mo, of Mary and Joseph in the Gospels? Mary's genealogy is in the book of Luke. In the book of Matthew is Joseph's genealogy. It's making the point that this blessing has come right down on the eternal son when he came as a baby. And we get in that blessing because of him. So the next time you're reading those big genealogies and you think, well, what's, what's the point of this? Just think it's showing me at the end of that genealogy after Jesus is me and I'm blessed. Amen. And then read on. <laughs> Acts chapter 4. Absolutely. In fact, there's, there's five women in the genealogy of Jesus, according to the book of Matthew, that have what many people would say questionable, questionable morality. Mary's the fifth, and even though Mary was a pure virgin she would have been questioned by the neighborhood around her. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have said, oh, you, you, you've, conceived, you can, you can, you've conceived by the Holy Spirit. They, they would have actually said, well, okay, pull, pull the other one, you know? So, so they, would, they, would have, they would have questioned her morality. And then you have Tamar, as you said. Who else is in the genealogy? Ruth. So Ruth was a lovely lady, but she was an idolatrous. She was a Moabitess, and they worship some dodgy gods. Anybody else? Rahab. Rahab who was she? Who who was Rahab? Uh, she was a prostitute in Jericho. A prostitute in Jericho. Okay. So anybody else? Have we done five now? Rahab, Ruth, Tamar, Mary, and. Who is the one that's a woman in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew that's never even named? Because she's so terrible. Bathsheba. It says the wife of Uriah, who was an adulteress. But they were in the genealogy of Jesus. It's interesting there's five women because five is the number of grace. You see, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. High five, I like that. <laughs> we'll, put, we'll preach together more often, Lillian. Acts chapter 4. So this is passed down, as we've just described. 
does Paul say? That you might receive the blessings on Abram, or you may receive the promise of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Can I suggest to you the Holy Spirit of grace is the blessing. He is the blessing. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. This is now the church and the apostles in the early church. And with great strength and ability and power, the apostles delivered their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Listen to this. And great grace and favor rested richly upon them all. Wow. This blessing starting to activate in the New Testament. This blessing that belonged to God's people is starting to activate. How did it show up in the New Testament church? It showed up, miracle signs, wonders, it showed up in churches springing up everywhere, not competing one another for business. Come here Christians, we want you. No, reaching the lost. Reaching the lost, reaching people who didn't know anything about Jesus, never heard the name of Jesus. And the church was being built everywhere so fast because great grace was on them all. And we've said, sometimes in our wrong understanding of what religion is and church is, we've said, well, thank you, that's the early church. They were under great grace, but, you know, we... we you know, we, we know better now. You know, we've, we, we know that those things have passed away. You know, we, we know that, that God doesn't do that anymore. We, we, you know, we've got, we've got better, higher revelation. You know, we've got, we've, we've got the ability to give, you know, daily scripture notes. And we've got shops that sell, you know, rubbers that say Jesus love you. And hats that say carpenter from Nazareth seeks joiners. You know, we're really, we're really cooking on gas, you know. You know, uh, we've got car stickers now that say wise men sought Jesus. They still do. Our evangelism is on a high level now. Don't we need to get back to great grace being on us all? Don't we need to get back to that real life? Well, I don't think great grace is on us. I think, you know, we, we've done some terrible things and we've messed up. I, if I was God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put great grace on me or you. Well, thank God we're not God, isn't it? God has put great grace on us all. And it's time to work with that grace and do something with it because that grace is the same grace that parted the Red Sea. That same grace is the grace that allowed the sun to stand still so the people of God could win a battle. That grace is the same grace that raised Lazarus from the dead. That grace is the same grace that made great victory for Derek, Derek, for Derek, Derek, for Barak and Deborah. And Derek. Is there any Dereks in the house? You know what Derek means? It's a Hebrew word, by the way. It means the way of God. So maybe that was the Holy Spirit. This is the way of God, brothers and sisters. It's the way of God. The word Derek means the way of God. It means his mode of action, his attitude, his conversation, his ways. So his ways are blessing, not cursing. His ways are life, not death. His ways are love, not hate. His ways are faith, not fear. Those are his ways. And he wants his church to be attractive in his way to the whole world. And to give the message of the gospel of grace, which is the most wonderful, 
powerful message on the face of the planet. And if we really give that message and live that message, the world will be changed because the early church with that great grace on them, what did it say about them? It said that they turned the world upside down. It says at one point that it was understood that these people, even though they were unlearned, ordinary people, they must have been with Jesus. Great grace was on them all. And this great grace that's on us, this blessing that's on us, is not just a commodity to be used, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's intimate fellowship with Jesus. It's the ultimate, I know a guy who can do a job for you. (laughs) It's Jesus. He's the blessing. He's the blessing. He's the life. He's the peace. We run out of time, but I'll just close with this. In the book of Ephesians, it says that God's will and God's heart is to fill the whole universe with himself, which is love. He's love. He wants to fill the whole universe with love. He wants to fill the whole universe with love. And the book of Ephesians chapter 4, I think it is, it talks about Jesus and his finished work, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his enthronement at the throne of God, sitting down at the right hand of the Father, and then apportioning himself in gifts to men. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. I use men generically, human beings. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Ministries in the church, what are they there to do? They're there to help the body come to maturity. To what? The fullness of God. To fill everything with himself. And if you look at that word to fill or, full, or, or fullness in the Greek, you get the idea of somebody coming in to a house that's unfurnished and going around and furnishing it in the most beautiful, possible, most extravagant way you can ever think of. To come into a house and furnish it. And that's what, these, the, that's what preachers and teachers need to do. To see our church and our lives and help us Furnish our lives with the most beautiful presence of Jesus, the most beautiful revelation of the word, the most beautiful understanding of our identity, the most beautiful understanding of our Father's love for us, the most beautiful understanding that we can be healed of from every single hurt and rejection, and to be filled so full and furnish everywhere else. You know another word to describe furnishing in the Greek is anointing. That we're to be the anointed ones who go about furnishing people with the love of God. Restoring them. Taking that old upholstery off of hate and bitterness and offense. And putting on the furnishing of Jesus. And Jesus said this. Behold, I make all things new. Another way of saying it is this. Behold, I'm the one that restores and fully furnishes everyone back to their original condition in me. Stand with me, would you?
<laughs> it's not often it happens, but I just felt the Holy Spirit say in my heart, I really enjoyed that one. <laughs> thank you, Father. That was a blessing for me. Father, I just thank you for... <laughs> Isn't he so good? He's so good. Yeah, I think we need to do that. Can we play that beautiful song we played? Why am I asking you? I'm going to play that beautiful song we played last week before we left about the church being the bride, about, you know, this beautiful church and having the praise. You know what praise is? Praise, and I think um, Mike mentioned a scripture about it. Praise is prophetically proclaiming the promises to song. That's what praise is. And I pray that praise should ever be on our lips.